Over the last 18 months, a crew of 20-plus shipwrights has been hard at work at Mystic Seaport's Henry B. DuPont Preservation Shipyard, restoring Plymouth Plantation's Mayflower II for the 400th anniversary of the arrival of her namesake in 1620. Built in Brixham, England at the Upham Shipyard between 1955 and 1957, Mayflower II is a reproduction of the 180-ton bark that brought the pilgrims to New England. Her homecoming in summer 2019 promises to be as monumental an occasion as the ship's arrival in 1957 and 1620. But that homecoming is not for another 18 months, so in the meantime, the hard work involved in the day-to-day -day life of wooden ship restoration continues, and we're here live on location at Mystic Seaport's Preservation Shipyard to catch up with Whit Perry and Matt Barnes and their crew to see the ship's progress. So thank you both for sitting down with us. Um, Matt, welcome to Interwoven, the podcast from Plymouth Plantation. Since we're on your home turf today at the Preservation Shipyard, um, before we get into the work on Mayflower 2, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to be part of our project? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm a uh, Connecticut native. Uh, grew up down the street, about 45 minutes down the coast. Uh, graduated the International Yacht Restoration School in 2010, and I came aboard uh, halfway through the Morgan Restoration. Um, since then, I've been working along with, with WIT. Um, my predecessor retired, and so uh, I've taken over as lead for the project. What do you like most about working on the Mayflower 2 project? Definitely the historical aspect. Having a ship that has this kind of historical value is, is, is great. You know, it represents a lot of American history and uh, New England history itself. And that's a huge part of why I'm at this museum and working on this project. We are... Just over two years into the restoration process, we have 18 months to go. Uh, where are we in that process? Well, uh, great to be here. We, we have had an excellent year. Matt and I were just remarking on the fact that it was a year ago in March at this time when we were still just putting up the building and building the infrastructure for the ship. We were still at more of a demolition stage and taking things apart hadn't really started putting things back together yet and as we look at what's been accomplished in the last one year period it's just incredible what Matt and his shipwrights have been able to do as far as we've gotten all of the framing below the waterline framing replaced into the ship the keelson that we had to put in uh, as new and we are now starting to plank in earnest and so for that was a major milestone for us to get to that planking process of the bottom of the ship or the part that actually makes the ship float. The last time we spoke, which is just over a year ago, you were walking our listeners through all the steps it takes to hang one of those new pieces of hull planking on the side of the ship. For our listeners who may not have heard that episode, can you do a brief recap of, of that process before we talk about how the work is progressing? Sure, I can get into a little bit of that, and then maybe we'll have uh, Matt, Matt get into some of the uh, specifics of it as well. For us, we talked last time in the last podcast about the material acquisition part of actually finding the materials needed, and that we were fortunate enough to buy about 20,000 board feet of perfect planking material from Denmark, uh, from the Royal Danish Forestry Service. This wood was not able to be sourced domestically because of the thickness, the width of the wood, and the length of the wood that has almost zero defects and knots in the wood. These, this size of a tree 
is just not as readily available in the United States. We are now finally starting to work with that, that planking process, and I think Matt can, can speak to the, 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 the quality of this wood is just what we expected it to be. And uh, I'm going to let Matt kind of interject here a little bit about the, the spiling and hanging, if sure. you would. Yeah, um, as Whit said, the quality of material we're using is is best I've ever really worked with. Um, the Danish oak is, is far superior than, than anything we could find here. The our Mystic Seaport itself is set up as a very traditional shipyard. Um, typically, we like to get material in tree form or flitched as we have for the Danish wood, and it's set up that we can work the material. We can go right from the thickness planers into the main shop, lay the spiling, which is the process of taking the pattern of the plank itself, lay it right on, have it you know cut out and made, right into the steam box, right into the ship, all in working order, which makes the process so much more efficient and, and very effective overall. In our previous conversation, we talked about the wood from Denmark, as well as some American white oak that had been donated to the project by Barria College in Kentucky. And at that time, um, you were still looking for live oak for hanging knees. Uh, how is that materials acquisition going? It was just about a year ago that Matt and I spent a week in Bell Chase, Louisiana, uh, chasing down some a uh, bunch of live oak. We had a very generous donor uh, in Bell Chase, Louisiana, which is just south of New Orleans, and the power company was putting in a power line and had to take down, I think, 12 or 14 live oak trees on his property. And then Quentin, at the same time, was over in Mississippi getting some donated wood from a woman over there that had to have a couple of trees taken down on her property. So all three of us uh, sent back, I believe, five very, very large trucks worth of live oak last year, both for the framing down low in the ship and for the hanging and lodging knees. We still are looking for more. So anyone out there with live oak, Quercus virginiana, we are still looking for about 15 or 20 knees and any crooked live oak available, we are always, always looking for Mystic Seaport Plymouth Plantation. Give us a call. There's a little plug to get us some live oak. <laughs> and just as finding the right materials is critical to a successful restoration, having a crew with the right skills is equally essential. Uh, Matt, you mentioned that you are a graduate of the International Yacht Restoration School. What can you tell us about the museum's relationship with Idris? Uh, so it's it's been a, a great relationship. I would say probably 35%, if not 50%, are Irish graduates. Um, uh, having that relationship, being a graduate myself, I was able to go there and interview uh, potential you know, candidates, which has been a huge part of this project, is building this team. Finding 30-plus shipwrights is not the easiest task. You know, It's a dying tradition within a dying tradition. Um, so finding this amount of people available to do this kind of job is was quite difficult. Um, Iris has allowed us to sort of handpick very high quality candidates for this project, which has been great, and the team itself is is phenomenal. Um, so it's been very successful working with them. Well, and I think that with Matt going to the career days and a lot as part of their curriculum at Iris, they have to serve an internship. So a lot of these younger folks. Matt has been able to work with here at Mystic Seaport during their internship and then 
able to bring them back later and hire them on for this project, even though it's not a permanent job, to me, and for us at Plymouth Plantation and Mystic Seaport, the huge part of our mission being education, I think it's just fantastic that we're able to let these younger adults know that they can put their education to use, mm -hmm. especially as their student loans start coming in, to know that they have a job and can actually put food on the table with the skills that they're starting to develop. And then working here at Mystic Seaport with the more experienced crew members, of which and Matt, Matt has been out in many different um, yards before coming here, so we have guys that maybe graduated 10, 12 years ago that are now mentors to some of these new graduates. Mm -hmm. And a large part of what we like to do at Mystic is keep these skills alive, and, and training is a huge part of, of what we do too. Um, you know, they're working along master shipwrights who've been in the trade who learned from, from people who are actually in the shipbuilding industry building new vessels. And so that continues to hand down, which I feel quite obligated to keep that going, you know, from the, from the master shipwrights that I apprenticed under and, and learned from to pass those skills on is a huge part of what I see my job as too. So it seems like we just took a, a brief tour of the lumber yard and took a little bit uh, of a look at what's going on on the ship, that this planking process that everybody's working hard on is going along quite quickly. What are, um, what are the steps involved again? You talk about spiling mm -hmm. and the steam box. For our listeners who didn't catch us uh, on the previous podcast episode, can you guys give us a, a brief review of what that process is? Sure, yeah. So it, it, you know, it starts with demo, really. It's, you know, we have planks, the old planks that we are replacing that are in place. As we pull them off, we take all their lines uh, to mark on the new framework. Um, that allows us to keep things kind of in order, and then we go through and we fare those lines out um, to make it an easier process, you know, because it's been scabbed together, it's lost a little shape, so we, you know, put sweeter lines back in her. And then the planker will spile those, pattern off those lines to make the new plank. Product comes in, they lay it down um, and spile it out, and it goes right on the ship. And it is going, it's great. I think we've put up to 30 planks on in the past month, um, which is which is a huge pace, and there's probably three or four different crews going on planking, so it's it's going really, really well. And the quality material is, is part of that, too. This Danish oak allows us to, you know, sort of just take them off the top and put them right into the shop. We don't have to really shuffle through and find stuff that have defects and reject it, and, um, so that keeps it very efficient also. And then the way the... The, how are the, the way the ship's the planks are then steam bent, put on, and actually clamped into place. Take us through that process of when it comes out of the steam box to actually then being fastened. Sure. So the act of steaming is very necessary for the shape of the ship. Um, you, you couldn't just put these planks on the boat and, and have them take that shape. Uh, they will... They go in the box. These planks are roughly three inches thick. The, uh, the rule for steaming is an hour per inch. So they'll sit in the box for about three hours, three and a half hours. We'll pull them out. We'll get a whole crew of guys and we'll clamp them up to the ship and then it'll sit overnight and then it will hold that shape and it'll just uh, go right on. Now we saw that process of a plank going into the steam box when we were over in the lumber yard. You say an hour per inch. Mm -hmm. Once it comes out of the steam box, do you have 
how much time do you have to get it in place on the ship before that heat and moisture starts to dissipate? Um, well, obviously the weather relates to that. Colder temperatures in the winter, you have a little less time. But these, you know, white oak, they retain the heat quite well. So we really have about 20 minutes, 30 minutes to really get it on there, clamped and in place um, before we start losing the, the elasticity in the, in the delignification from the steaming. Is there anything new that you, both in your combined years of experience, have learned through this planking process that you either didn't know before, were surprised to learn, or is there a new skill or perspective that you have now that you've begun this, this planking process? Well, for me, seeing some of the some of the tools and clamps and the way that they are clamping these planks on is a little new for me, just because it is the biggest material that I have personally worked with, mm -hmm. and so the techniques and stuff that Mystic Seaport has in in the um, mechanics of some of the clamp tools that they've made and and that have been modified over the years to meet a specific need is really interesting and new to me because of the size. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know improvisation going on too. Each plank is different. Each location of the plank is very different. So one clamp will work for one area but won't necessarily work for the other because there's ceiling behind it or you just can't get to it. So the, like as Whit was saying, the multiple different ways of doing this is, is very interesting and a lot of stuff is also thought up on the fly. Even though they've been planking ships like this for hundreds of years, there's still always places to learn and change and adapt and, and make better. And you know, this crew really is, is great at improvising and, and making that happen. Have you come across anything in this process that you didn't expect? Um, sure, there's, a, there's always that kind of stuff. It's, it's unavoidable. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that goes along with the adaptation and improvisation that, that goes on out there. And, you know, every day is new. Every single aspect is new, especially for a lot of these younger guys. Um, you know, most of these guys coming out of Iris have, you know, the planks they were dealing with were three-quarter inch thick and ten feet long. We're now dealing with three and a half inches and thirty feet long. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, a learning that goes along with it, too. So... The hull planking, is that the majority of the work that's going on on the ship right now, or are there other uh, aspects of the project that are ongoing alongside the planking? Matt has actually put together, we have put together um, six or seven different small teams that are working in every area of the ship. Certainly the time period that we're trying to get this very, very large project done necessitates that we have people working all over different areas of the ship simultaneously there's six to eight people how many people on the planking planking yeah probably six to eight at any one time um, in a crew of 31 and we like what we're saying we have about five different sections going on at once um, so there is a lot of moving parts the planking the way they're doing it as I showed you they're doing the port side and the starboard side at the same time so you got you got guys cutting and shaping planks. You got guys from the yard that are milling and moving wood into by the planer area where I showed you before. You've got then you got a whole separate kind of team that Matt has uh, that are the fastener guys, and they may be doing something else for two or three hours during a day. But then those guys get a plank hung and kind of in place. These. These guys come back and they're driving the galvanized spikes and trunnels that we're using for actual fastening. Then those guys come in and do that. 
And of course, as you'll probably see in a little while when we take the plank that's in the steam box right now out, everybody, there's a whole bunch of the guys, everybody comes together, grabs the plank out of the steam box, and uses the forklift that we're using to move this wood. You saw the stack that I showed you earlier, and without the forklift that we have from the Institute of Museum and Library Services, we'd be stuck with block and tackle. Yeah, well, and you're back. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, new, this new forklift has been great. I think our second youngest forklift was built in the 70s. Um, before that, it's the 50s, and we have our two other ones, which we love. But having this new, new machine has just been so great, and, and it's really helped the whole process, the entire ship. Out of curiosity, when a plank comes out of the steam box, how much does it weigh? With all that moisture, I imagine it must get quite heavy. Yeah, they they do they do gain a little weight from from the moisture. On average, a thirty foot plank is probably somewhere close to two to three hundred pounds, maybe a little more. Um, it probably gains, uh, off the top of my head, probably fifty pounds in the in the steamer. Once the hull planking process is done, well, let let me ask this first. At the rate you guys are going with that planking process, how long do you expect it will take before the ship is completely replanked? Well, strictly speaking, right now we are still working below the waterline from the lower whale on the starboard side all the way around to the lower whale on the port side. We expect we will be planking just that area, which is about 40% of the ship, 50% of the ship, um, up into July. Yeah, I'd say the end of June we'll hopefully have the 28 lower strakes put on. A strake is a full span of planking, and there's generally three to four planks per strake. Um, at this rate, which we're kind of a little ahead of that, so hopefully by June we'll have that done. And we're also in the most difficult area of the ship to plank. It's where the most turn is and the most, you know, most belly in the ship. As we go higher, it becomes a very simpler process. And after the replanking um, project is done, later this year, early next year, um, What's next for the ship restoration? What are, what's sort of the next big project after the planking is done? Well, I'll hand this over to Matt in a minute, but certainly one thing to keep in mind is as we take some of these this planking right from raw stock, raw material, to a spiled or uh, carefully shaped plank and put it and hang it on the ship, then we have the caulking to do. And that's the part that'll make the ship, not, not only does caulking help make the ship more structurally rigid, but that's what makes it watertight and allows it to float. So as part of the planking process, we still will have to caulk, which is driving the oakum between the seams, and then we also have a seam compound that goes on top of the oakum. We have coatings that go on both on the inside and the outside of the planking. We use a uh, bottom paint, a little different than they had in the 17th century. We're using a modern uh, cuprous oxide, biocide, bottom paint on the, on the hull. And as far as the rest of that's just for the planking that we're doing below the waterline. And then Matt can tell you a little bit more about the, the rest overall. <laughs> yeah, actually, as a whole, planking is... Uh, just one part of what we're actually doing and as as like as we said there's five other groups going and so we have framing that's still going on and they're 
the planking is sort of uh, leapfrogging or piggybacking on, on those framers. So as the planks go up, we also have framers reframing and going up. So framing is another huge process. Um, deck beam replacement, uh, decking, all the deck on board, you know, we had to pull certain sections up to actually get at some of the stuff we're replacing as far as deck beams and uh, mass partners and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's a continuous project also, and then that will go on for, for duration. A major restoration project like this one takes so many hands and highly specialized skills, which we've talked about, and we've talked about the shipwrights, we've talked about the foresters who bring the materials together. Who are some of the other skilled craftspeople that are contributing to this project that might not be obvious just from looking at the shipyard? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a list of people that are involved outside of even the museum here. Um, we have hardware made, clinch rings made up from a local foundry, um, all sorts of parts and materials, systems installation where we're working with uh, local companies. We're having uh, 3D printing done, you know, 3D mapping of the ship done by another local company. So there's a lot of outside sources that, that reach far, much farther than the museum itself. And then, of course, within the museum we have... Uh as Matt talked about the documentation process of the ship itself and the digital scanning of the vessel that uh, a local company graciously donated their time to digitally scan for posterity the ship itself. Uh, that was a big, big boom for researchers and people that come after us as stewards of Mayflower too. So making a digital record of the work that you're doing now in 2018, the work that was has been done over the past 60 years, and that was originally done in 1957. Yeah, that, that's a huge part for us is documentation. I think I have close to 5,000 photos of, of the entire process, and, and that goes for continuity. It also goes for going back, because a lot of the stuff we took out six months ago, I can't really remember off the top of my head where it was located. So you know, I had the, ex, you know, the ability to go back and look at look at documentation and photos and allows us, it's, it's all part of the process. And that way if the ship needs work in 10, 15, 20, 60 more years, we can say, well, this is what we did in 2018. Mm -hmm. Where do we go from here or how do we do it again? There's enough of a historical record that we don't have, we won't have to guess the way William A. Baker and more Charlton and the shipwrights in the 1950s had to use brief mentions in the original sources of, of what Mayflower originally looked like. Exactly. And we haven't even touched, scratched the surface with uh, the rigging and what actually makes the ship go as far as propulsion with our sails mm -hmm. and all the rigging that goes along with that is being done in-house by both Plymouth Plantation staff members and the expert rigging that Mystic Seaport is able to provide as well as new sails. So in addition to being a Restoration Shipyard, um, and in addition to Mayflower to being a historic vessel, um, we are also two museums. We are creating a museum exhibit space and an object that is exhibited. Um, so from a museum perspective and a museum professional perspective, why do you gentlemen think it's important that we are doing this restoration work in front of the public and bringing them along behind the scenes every step of the way? I think I think one of the big the big things is is it's such a large part of both museums' missions to be educational institutions, and that's why Plymouth Plantation had been working with Mystic Seaport for years in advance of this project to pull this collaboration together, 
because it actually fulfills part of our mission statement for both museums, we would not be able to have this sort of exposure for the public and education with these podcasts and being able to show you around the actual site if we were in just a basic commercial shipyard. And the shipyard is open to guests who visit Mystic Seaport. They can come and see you guys working, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have two very large doors at each end of the tent. The ship itself is under a tent, so you can't really get up on board. But we have multiple viewing platforms, and you know we're constantly moving around, and you can see planks coming out of the steam box, and you, it's a really hands-on idea of what you'll get in a traditional shipyard, which I don't really think you could find anywhere else. And that exhibit space that Mystic Seaport created in the loft of the woodworking shop is a great place for people to be able to see what's going on with the bird's eye view, so to speak. And it's, it's been a great collaboration for us, working with another nonprofit, another museum. It's exactly what we want to do here at the Seaport, and it's a good step forward for us, too. Normally, we work on our in-house ships. This has been a great opportunity to take so collaborate with another museum and, and work on their vessel. We have the capacity and, and all the capabilities to do so. So I think it's a great outlet. In addition to visiting Mystic Seaport Museum here in Mystic, Connecticut, and seeing the work being done on Mayflower 2 in person, what are some other ways that our listeners can stay up to date on the restoration progress? Obviously, they can download interwoven podcast episodes and listen, um, but are there other opportunities to check in on our progress? Well, we do have a um, live streaming camera that we're working on that is uh, eye in the sky, as we call it, which gives you a live view of the workers inside the tent. I hung it up very high. Some of you might have seen it last year when we had it in the hold, and before that we had it hanging on the shop building so you could see the ship. That live camera has been very, very popular, and it should be back online any day now. Um, we do have the audio turned off, <laughs> so that when someone smashes their finger with the hammer, they're, they're not hearing the audio expletives. Yeah. Although part of a working shipyard, yes, I'm sure, very, very, very accurate. Very authentic, yeah. And the transi transition from winter to when we have people in, there's, I very, I tell my guys to have a little more courtesy as to what you're thinking and saying out loud. Um, and we also have an Instagram site that I run for the project itself. Uh, it's Mayflower 2 Restoration. Okay. Um, and also the, the personal social media of a lot of the guys working out there. Um, you could just search a hashtag for Mayflower 2 and you'll find a, a whole slew of, of very interesting photos of uh, you know, all different aspects of the ship. And for those folks who are interested in getting involved with the restoration, are there any opportunities to participate or be involved in any of the development opportunities? Absolutely. There, um, we've had great success with uh, one of the fasteners we use to fasten planks and everything on the ship is called a trunnel or a tree nail. And we're using that in conjunction with metal fasteners and bolts and spikes and things. And we have some other small gifts up in uh, the gift shop that are made from wood salvaged from the restoration. And if, you, if uh, listeners are interested, you can visit um, inspire.plymouth.org, which is the website for our capital campaign to support the ongoing restoration of Mayflower 2. You can also find more information about the restoration of Mayflower 2 at Mystic Seaport's website um, at www.mysticseaport.org. 
I'm Matt and Witt. I want to thank you both for taking time to uh, share with our listeners an update on our project. Great. Thanks, Hillary. Want to learn more? Download or stream more full-length interwoven episodes available from iTunes and on SoundCloud. For more podcast news or to catch new episodes first, join the conversation on our social media channels or visit us online at Plymouth.org. Interwoven is brought to you by Plymouth Plantation, hosted by me, Hilary Goodnow, and produced by Tom Begley. Our original theme music, Voices from the Past, was composed by John Dante Prevedini. This episode was made possible in part by the Institute of Museum and Library Services, Museums for America, grant number MA 30 Thanks for listening.